This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, this is a unique episode. So many of you have said, Nathan, we'd love for somebody to interview you. So I said, well, who knows me the best and who's good at interviewing? And none other than Andrew Warner popped up. So Andrew also wanted me on his show. So what we've done is he has interviewed me on this episode. It's about 40 minutes. I don't think I've ever had this is a controversial interview. I mean, Andrew hit me hard. He called a lot of my ex-employees and investors beforehand. He understood the questions to ask. And I'll let you be the judge. We talk about things relating to business, finance, personal, deals, you name it. If you've been wondering, does Nathan do this or does Nathan do that? Andrew gets to the bottom of it. So he published this with a very interesting title. Is Nathan Latka a con artist or basically a brilliant genius? He's getting good at copywriting, and I think you'll see from this interview what he believes I am. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to toss it over now to Andrew, and the interview is going to get started. Hey, everyone. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy.com. This is the place where I've interviewed entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses, and I've been doing this since, what, 2008 now. And the reason I do it is because I just love hearing how entrepreneurs built their companies. But more than that, I love hearing people who listen to my interviews come back and tell me how they've built their companies while listening, how they've come back here and said, you know, I've listened for years and now I want to do an interview. Well, today I've got something a little bit different. I'm actually doing this interview for someone else's podcast, a podcast I've been listening to by a friend that I've had for a long time. And uh, his name is Nathan Latka. He is the founder of, among other things, a podcast called The Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where he goes, actually, you spend shorter time than I do, but you go right into the numbers, don't you, Nathan? Yeah, there, you know, I think I would say I'm probably the most sued podcaster. I just pressure the hell out of guests and get them to share all their numbers very fast. Did you say sued? Most sued. We can talk about that later. You've got lawsuits against you. Many, probably more than I think any other podcast. All right. I'll ask you about the lawsuits um, and we'll ask you about uh, Heyo, the company you founded and so much else. Some of the some of the stuff you've been saying on Facebook, some of the people you've been irritating. Um, and it's all thanks to two great sponsors on my part, uh, HostGator and Lead Pages. I'll tell everyone more about them later, but this interview will run both on my podcast and on yours. Nathan, you didn't want any information before this interview started, even though I was like 10 minutes late because I'll be open with you. I called up your investors. I called up people who worked with you. I called up your competitors and those conversations just ran so long. I couldn't get off the phone with them. And that's why I was a little bit late. Well, that's good. Do you look, you do something very different than I do. I don't do any research for my guests because I, I think that when I interview them, I'll gloss over things I learned in the past. And because it's not fresh to you. Exactly. I'm not as empathetic with my audience. So, so I love, I can't, this is going to be so much fun. Well, a lot of the, actually every single one of them said, don't bring up my name. And the reason is some people are afraid. A lot of people are afraid of you, Nathan, to be honest, because you've ripped into some people on Facebook. Haven't you? Well, tell me who you're speaking about on Facebook specifically. Um, the founder of Social Media Examiner. Yeah, I got to tell you what, Michael Stelzner. 
uh, I just think he misses a lot, right? So I've been to his conference many times, you know, social media marketing world. And it's like just filled with people that are social media consultants. And I don't think I have to say much more to your audience when I just, all I have to do is air quotes. They know what I mean, right? And, you know, one of the things, one of the, what I did is I sent out an email blast because I had a pretty big list, 70, 80,000 people. And I sent an email blast out that basically said, get off my list. Like I'm paying for you to be on my list. If you're not opening, get off my list or click here to introduce yourself. I want to know about you. And that click here to introduce yourself was a link to a survey, right? Where I captured amazing data about the people that chose to fill it out. And Andrew, it was one of the most successful, most successful emails I've ever sent out over okay. 60% open rate. Okay. And over basically I got over 1100 people to spend over 40 minutes filling out a survey. And so what was the problem with Michael then? So Michael took a screenshot of this email and said, I could never send an email like this. And here's what drove me crazy. He blocked my name out, right? So like he's posting this on his Facebook feed and he blocks my name out. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm giving you free content. You're using it. You're screenshotting my email. And at least give me the recognition. At least give me the credit. And I so mean, how did that turn into an argument? Well, because he said like it was mean and bad and not good. And then what happened is a bunch of other people posted it in their Facebook groups and it all blew up. And Andrew, I was so confused because I'm getting calls from people that I really respect going, Nathan, like, are you crying? Are you okay? I mean, everyone's attacking you. I'm going, I feel amazing. This is like, I have no investors anymore. I have like no one that I'm responsible you for. You love just- this. You love that people will, will get a rise out of some of the things you said. You love the hate. You love the love. You love the whole thing. No, that's not what I love. I love the fact that I can say exactly and do exactly what I feel and I want. I feel, without- I get that. Yeah. I also feel like you're creating this persona for yourself right now of like a shock jock Donald Trump-like entrepreneur who's going to be in people's faces, who's also going to speak the truth as you see it and not going to be, I was going to say not afraid to ruffle feathers, but it's more like not afraid to poke people in the eye a little bit. Well, there are two, Andrew, there are two, look, when I was building Heyo and it grew fast, you know, people, the first interview you had me on was back in 2011. People should go listen to that. NathanLacka.com forward slash Mixer G will take you directly to that interview on Andrew's site. But as we built Heyo, raised two and a half million bucks in venture capital, hit five million in sales, did very well. I met so many people online where literally Andrew, the header of the website, you know, it's a, it's the fancy car and the, the little mansion and the little women and the men and the, da, 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 you know, millionaire, blah, 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 whatever. And then I get them, like I hear them in a green room at a conference where they're speaking and they're talking about how they like can't pay their bills next month. Right? You know what? I've seen that too. Absolutely. It's people. So my point is. But so you want to you want to call them out on it, but you're also calling out some good people. You're calling out some people who've created software. Good, good people sometimes do strategically bad things. So here's you mentioned your numbers. I did call up some of your competitors and I've said, what do you think I should be asking them about what's going on? And they've said that five million dollar number over and over. That's five million over how many years? That was our cumulative revenue. And and over five years. Yeah, over five years. So that's a yeah. million a year. And so they say, look at the math on that. It wasn't a million a year because we started off with much less. Sorry, in an fact, average. Yeah, an average, yeah. They say, look at the math on that. At the end, if you end up with, with that kind of revenue over five years, you're not getting a really big exit. And so I started calling up your investors to get a sense of what was going on. And they're saying it was kind of like a graceful exit. We're talking about, actually, why don't, why don't I ask you the numbers? Yeah. Well, last look, year of the business, how much did you do in sales? Yeah. So look, part of what happened, and I think at 26 years old, but at 25, actually 25, 26, when this happened, 
you know, you're selling a business, right? There's a lot that I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. But one thing I did is we realized after companies that you've interviewed, you know, Buddy Media, uh, uh, Involver, Wildfire with Victoria, when they exited, and I believe that was, what was it, 2011, 2012? Mm -hmm. That was really a hot time for social media campaigns. Mm -hmm. So that was our hottest year in terms of revenue, okay? Now, when we sold the business to Vodigo, one of the things you have to do when you sell a business is you're obviously signing an NDA, especially if they're gonna keep that going. So I have not disclosed what the revenue was right when we were selling or that year. However, if people go to nathanlacka.com forward slash surprise, you can see the full investor docs that I used with revenue numbers, CAC, churn, LTV, ARPU. What's the URL? nathanlatka.com slash surprise. You can go there now, yeah. So, so you're and, saying you can't say because you signed an NDA saying that you couldn't, you couldn't release those numbers? Yeah, look, nobody wants to release those numbers more than me. That's, everyone's going to talk about it, right? I mean, Andrew, you know how I operate. I would love to release those numbers. I don't numbers. know. What they're saying is, look, the numbers weren't really that high towards the end. But you're saying that too. You're saying, look, the height was roughly 2012. 2012 was the height, absolutely. And we should say what, it, what the business did. Heyo started out as a consulting company, then moved on to to software under the name Lejour, then became Heyo. What you did was social media consulting, if I understand right. Then you moved on to creating web pages on Facebook, which is what Facebook encouraged companies to do. And then when Facebook said, sorry, we're not doing that anymore, you turned it into a contest uh, a business and that's what you sold. Well, yeah, contest platform on Facebook. what happened is a lot like Pat Flynn, I was architecture, Andrew, back in, you know, 09, 010 when nobody was building. And I was so insecure because I overheard fifth years in my class at Virginia Tech going, we can't find jobs. And I'm like, this school's ranked number one, number two in the country in architecture. How do you not find a job? So I was very insecure. And I told this story in the last interview with me, so I'm not going to repeat it. But I pre-sold about 73 grand worth of $700 Facebook fan pages that I custom built. And ultimately realized that kind of professional service consulting was not how you scale a business. SaaS was the way to go. In fact, you just had a guy on, what was his name? He did $300 million last year. I forget which one. It, you said you you called it the big the, the biggest unknown startup you've ever known. It was like this week. I mean, it was a it was a guy uh, and they they pulled people from the affiliate space and it was called Line My Pocket. Uh, Why am I anyway? Okay. My, my point is, he also realized the money wasn't in SaaS. He went kind of from agency to SaaS and software as a service. So that's what we did. I got two technical co-founders, gave them forty percent of the business. Uh, we started building it and going from there. And ultimately we pivoted to into a company called Lujour, L-U-J-U-R-E. Then we renamed it Heyo because my investors were like, Nathan, nobody knows how the hell to spell Lujour. So we tested at a bar one day on these very beautiful women. They, no one spelled Lujour right, so we went with Heyo. And then we grew Heyo up to 2016, 2015, 2016 and sold, just sold it in February. So back to the question that I asked earlier, is it fair to say that the exit wasn't strong. We're talking about your investors got shares in the new business that you sold to. And you, from what they've told me, got well, under under far, six figures far, from the exit. I already said something inaccurate. I'm not going to tell you what it was because by saying it's inaccurate proves other things. But I can tell you this was something the board unanimously, unanimously approved. Um, we had, And by the way, I mean, we had smart people. I, I don't know if you spoke with David Cohen at Techstars. He was an early angel investor in Hayo. Dave McClure from 500 Startups. I mean, we had some very, very smart people. And quite frankly, we gave, we gave seven figures back to investors. I mean, there you was- took, You took 2.5, right? And so did you give back 2.5 in cash? Well, I can't say that. I mean, I can't say that. But you Andrew. can say whether you've made them more money than they put in, right? If they put in 2.5 million, you can say I gave them more than 2.5 million. We gave back an amount of money that I don't 
think many other 26 year olds that launch a business in 19 and sell give back. I mean, here's, here's the bottom line. People are saying that you've lost the money. They, they got less cash out than they put into the business. Well, that's true. That is that's true. true. That is true because when you raise capital, you have preferences, right? So a series A investor that has preferred shares is going to get more capital back than an angel investor who's under them on the cap table. And quite frankly, this is one of the reasons I'm tough on my podcast. People don't realize that. Angels get buried all the time because series A investors might have a one or two or three X liquidation preference, which means if they put in two, and this is hypothetical, if they put in two million and you sell for three million, or sorry, six million, but you have a three X liquidation preference, that, that whole six million goes back to the series A investors. And I, as the founder, get nothing. Angels get nothing. So it is a 100% true that there were investors that got back less money than what they put in. And so here's the thing that I admire about what you've done. You had a run at this. Instead of saying, I didn't create Uber, I failed, which a lot of people who've even sold their companies for hundreds of millions of dollars feel like failures for, for getting that level. You said, I'm going to talk about it. I'm now going to become this new personality. And that's where you went. And you're working harder now than you did before at it. In fact, I don't know how it came up, but you and I were talking about, I know how it came up. You and I had dinner once and you said, Andrew, you always ask such like deep questions. Like you sex ask questions, sex questions. That's yeah, in person I do, uh, I, because I think that sex and relationships impact how we feel about business. And yeah, it was at that one dinner that I asked everyone uh, when they lost their virginity and no one felt uncomfortable saying when it was. And so you brought that up and then you said, Andrew, I'm not, I'm not with anyone right now because sex actually takes up too much time. Do you remember that? 100%. I mean, we can talk about that. We can go down that channel and I'm happy to. Let's do that in a second. People have to keep watching. So like the little Wistia tracker on this episode is going to be great in like five minutes from now. But let me stick here. Okay. Andrew's smiling because as podcast hosts, this is what we do. We refresh the Wistia data to see where people drop off. and I do love that about Wistia. I love it too. Um, uh, And Wistia didn't pay for that. But uh, about the transparency thing, Andrew, I like you. Look, I grew up on Mixergy. I mean, there's like Forbes. And Mixergy, right? I grew up on Mixergy. You were the first person I called in 2008 or nine when I was thinking about making my first sale. You picked up the phone call, which blew my mind. I remember that. I was trying to prevent myself from shitting myself and act professional, which I probably, you were like, who is this kid? This is embarrassing. But (coughs) I was, I hate when people sell a business or have business success and then wait 10 years to tell the story because they lie. They don't do it on purpose, by the way. They don't lie on purpose, but they sensationalize because you really, usually only remember the good stuff. And so I recorded the negotiations. I mean, with my team, when I sold the business, Chris, who I brought in as COO, he was an ex-Mormon pastor, Christina, who led a lot of our brand strategy, unbelievable. We had Eric Biddleman, my CTO, by the way, I went through so many CTOs because I'm a hard, hard guy to work with. I recorded that conversation at NathanLacka.com forward slash sold. And Andrew, that was the most I thought I could do to bring transparency with the team. With the team, yeah, and the, and the buyer. I mean, there are moments on there where Jim is going at Vodigo who bought the company is going like, fuck you, we're not paying that price. I mean, it, it, you, you, I couldn't think of a way to make it more real time than that. And there are moments on there where I get destroyed and there are moments where I win big. Did he know uh, that, that you were recording him? I made it contingent. I mean, part of, part of the deal, we had many, many offers on the table. I said, hey, one of the important things about Heyo is we support small business and entrepreneurs. This is a moment a lot of entrepreneurs think about. And you wanted them to hear every part of it. 100%. I want them to hear every single part of it. But you Um, still can't say what the revenues were. 
I, that's the only part we left out, right? You can't Not say what the revenues were and you can't say what you sold for. But no, we can't, I can't say what I sold for. And the reason, and the reason I can't share revenues is because on other interviews, I've showed what our, I, I've shared what our, our multiples were and some of the reasons we pivoted and raised capital. So my point is, Andrew, I can't wait till I can release the real numbers because it's going to show something that I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised about. And it's consistent with some of the calls you had with some of our investors. Which is basically you had a graceful exit at a time when it was tough and you realized you were on, there were bigger things in you than creating um, a, a contest site that's on the Facebook platform, right? Like you, you knew you were meant for something bigger and that's why you, you decided I'm leaving. Look, I'm also, I think, a deal god. I'm really good at deals. And Here's so this part of this persona that I'm seeing now. I'm a deal god. Sometimes you do a deal to do a deal, right? Like there's an adrenaline rush with doing a deal. And so sometimes that can, you can make a bad deal, but you still get a high off doing the deal, right? So my point is that the, the reasons we sold were twofold. One, the mar we missed the maximum. We missed 2012 selling. We should have sold in 2012. We raised capital, additional capital to try a new concept, which was social, social selling, which failed, right? Gumroad just laid off 25 employees. That market has not taken off yet. It's too early. All that being said, there was a crap ton that I learned and momentum was created for making that sale. And that's kind of how I am, kind of where I am today and doing what I am. Here's uh, something else that I've gotten. Um, you worked with Brian Moran. You said, we're going to white label our stuff for you, right? Brian Moran, I think, uh, isn't he the creator? Oh this, this was back in, I mean, Andrew, this was back in 2011 or 2012. When you were starting out. Here's, here's what it says. Um, he also did a deal with Brian Moran a few years ago where Brian white labeled his fan page software, right? That was the Lejeure software. Then Nathan didn't like the price he had agreed to after Brian put a ton of customers into it. Um, Nathan started directly contacting those white label customers with a similar brand and pitching them directly. True? I have, look, I think anyone asking that question, they understand the time. I know Brian Moran. Uh, I have nothing against Brian Moran. Brian and I have not spoken probably four or five years. Uh, look, I don't know. I mean, if, if you want to share the name of that person, it might give me more perspective. But look, what I will tell you, white labeling was something that we made a lot of money off of. Um, at Le Jour, the, the but did you then contact the people who look no right didn't. I, Brian Moran I, basically sold to his people a white label version of your software and he look, was going to make money on it did you then take them away I from that listening right now that does a launch that has an affiliate program right Ryan Levesque just did the ask launch he has a ton of people on his list his promoters have people on their lists Andrew, true or false, the info marketing and the social media is a pretty small space, right? People are on many lists, mm -hmm. right? Because they read the same content. So when two people, right, maybe the main person launching hits a customer and then the affiliate also hits the customer, right? And the affiliate heard from the customer, hey, I signed up, but the affiliate doesn't realize they signed up through your link because they're on the Mixergy list, not the affiliate to Mixergy's list, right? There's so, this is one of the reasons we stopped white labeling. It's so difficult to manage white label and affiliate relationships because I don't have time to go in and categorize every single $30 a month sale kind of to who it belonged to. So look again, big fan of Brian. I haven't spoken to him though in years and years and years and years. So, so did some of that potentially happen where we're both reaching the same customer? 100%. Was it intentional? Absolutely not. Not intentional. There was no system to do that. Nope. Nope. Let me talk about uh, my first sponsor. It's HostGator. HostGator is one of your sponsors too, huh? 
They are. Yellow. You know what? I like how here's how you do it. Uh, how you do your HostGator ad. You say something like, I love giving my audience money. So I go, all right, now I got to listen in. Let's see what he's doing here. He's, he goes, I love giving my, my audience money. And if you go to and then you give your URL and I'm about to give mine, don't be afraid to edit mine out and put yours no. in. Um, if you go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy, you will get $100 in, ad, in Google AdWords. That's their $100 Google AdWords offer, which means you can start buying ads for your website right now. They're giving you cash. I love the way that you did that. And look, this is one of the things I get hit on, Andrew. Uh, I have a very unique ability. And yes, I'm being, look, I have weaknesses, but I also have strengths. This is one of my big strengths. I have a way of saying things that gets people to take action. And many times I'm able to say something where it allows the other person to fill in the blank, right? And if you fill it in with the wrong blank, that's your problem. Am I intentionally setting you up to potentially fill it in with the wrong blank? Eh, debatable, right? But I, other people would choose to market it the other way. But it when sounds like you're saying, saying, yes, it is. Well, maybe, look, it all depends what, people, what assumptions people fill it with, right? I mean, <clears throat> if I told you, Andrew, some people are telling me that they don't like Mixergy, you're immediately going to go to your last battle. Who did you last have a conference with? And you're going to fill in that name, mm -hmm. right? Like Donald Trump's doing this right now, like unbelievably well, right? I feel like because you're studying Donald Trump. I'm 100% I'm studying Donald Trump. What's your process for studying Donald Trump's de delivery and what he says? Same way that I study, you know, Titan, right? Or any of these biographies. You, you want to you study it in action, ideally when it's happening, when Rockefeller's building, when JP Morgan is buying out Andrew Carnegie. But so be more specific. What are you doing with Donald Trump to study so, him? So I will watch one of his YouTube speeches on mute. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Right? On mute. So does it, I, don't, I don't care if he's saying ban these people or women are, I don't care about any of that. But you can learn so much just from watching the body language and kind of how he orchestrates and how, that you can do and use in, in interviews like this, right? Um, and so that's what I'm doing. What's one movement that you picked up from him that you- oh, Very, very, very simple. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna imitate this. And by the way, like I'm doing pretty good for a 26 year old, but I'm cheap as hell. And I like to be comfortable. So I'm like in my underwear right now, but I'm going to walk, I'm going to show you what, what he did. Okay. Okay. When he comes on the stage to speech, I'm going to turn my camera up a little okay. bit. Right? And I, I know people are listening to this too. So I'll describe some of what I see after walking on the stage right now. Right. He looks at the camera, the music's playing and Trump's clapping. Right. Like for five minutes, he's right. He's mimicking what he wants the audience to do. And then there's music usually playing. So what he does is he, he like looks up like this and goes, right. Like to tell the music to cut. That's a sign of like authority. I am owning this stage. I'm in full control, regardless if the music person is up there or not listening to him. It's a gesture that says, hey, I can be tough on Russia too. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. That one little gesture to shut off the music. I never noticed that he did that. Now I'm going to want to go back and see the video of him doing that. But I could see how that, that uh, helps him get power right from the start. I, I also noticed that some of the hand gestures, you did this one video where you, where you said, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine said that I failed. I don't fail. And then you yep. use this gesture. I feel like you've found your version of his hand gesture based on what he does. Yeah. Well, look, the entrepreneur thing was unbelievable. Usually these media outlets don't do hit pieces on people, but they basically, I offered 5 million bucks to acquire Success Magazine, right? In a very public way. And I was trying to use the press to get the deal done. And we can talk about that later, but that ultimately failed and I acquired a different company called nathanlacka.com forward slash send later. My point is 
I then I had to respond to that, right? I, I don't necessarily like being aggressive, but if someone provokes me even a little bit and even gives me a reason to maybe want to be provoked, I'll take it, especially if I think it's something that I believe in and I can really harp on. And that's what I did in that video. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs talk about failure and how you can't fail, but it's different to actually see Nathan doing it in action in that video. So that's, I was very much, you know, I'm very much channeling. This was Donald you Trump. saying, I want to acquire a uh, success magazine. I'm going to offer $5 million. You got turned down. Um, and then entrepreneur magazine said, here's a big failure that Nathan had in public. He can't acquire it in the video that you did about it. You said, I don't fail. I don't yep. fail. Like that is a very Donald Trump like thing to do that. If you say you don't fail and everyone fails, but if you say you don't fail, People start to believe it, right? And you become yeah, this, Aaron, this. You know this more than me because you've you've done this entrepreneurial thing much longer than I have, and you had more success than I have. This failure thing is like a sexy thing to write articles on because it gets clicked so much, and it's a sexy thing to talk about. But failure is a perception. Like you, I only think I. People only think they fail if their mom thinks they failed, right? And they and the mom calls the son and goes, "Son, like I heard you didn't get the job offer. Like, are you okay?" Right. The way that makes you feel when she says, are you OK, makes you feel like you failed when you build up emotional barriers all around you so that you don't feel much of anything. You can you honestly can fail. I, that's why I don't fail. But the idea that you're saying it feels like part of your taking on Donald Trump's persona. Look, it's part Donald Trump, but it's part Rockefeller. It's part Titan. It's part jobs. When you say something so much and you have brainwashed yourself to believe it 100%, everybody else starts believing it. How do you start? How do you brainwash yourself, Nathan? That's interesting. Uh, you, 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 you tell yourself, you talk to yourself. What do you personally do? What's your process? <clears throat> you know, I say you know, there are many things that I'm kind of instilling and kind of training my brain right now. I want to take a company public by the time I turn 30, which means I've got to get the SaaS company to about 50 million in annual run rate, really to get something competitive. And so how do you, to get to that, what do you say mentally? I say that over and over. I'm going to take a company public? I, Andrew, I want your listeners to know this. It's recorded. I'm taking company public by the time I turn 30. I plan to run for president and win in 2036. I will run the world's largest hedge fund with $100 billion in assets under management. I will take a REIT public before I turn 60 with, again, $100 billion in real estate assets under management. You say that with such authority and you point to some little successes you've had in the past. People, their mind can get there because they go, oh, yeah, Nathan did these things. He's going to do that. And you know what happens after this interview? Anyone affiliated with politics will reach out to me and go, Nathan, I want to help you become president. And you know what happens? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it all started with me having the balls to just say, I will be president in 2036. And do you personally write this down on a piece of paper and repeat it? Or do you intentionally um, memorize it and repeat it? No, nope, I just think about it every you day. just try to think about it. Do you have anything that encourages you to think about it every day? Do you have a sign up in your bathroom or something? Nope, I don't, I, you know, my bathroom's pretty boring. Uh, None I of just, that. I, okay. Honestly, Andrew, when I repeat it on shows like this, I've done it so much. Um, my ego won't let me not do it because I will know, oh my gosh, Nathan, if I don't do this, all those people are going to go, you said you're going to become president and what happened? I'm artificially creating and putting myself in a corner because I know that's what makes me succeed. Okay. I didn't, I didn't finish the ad for HostGator. Here's my approach for HostGator's ads. I ask my guest, if you could start anything right now and all you had was a HostGator hosting package, and you know what they do, they let you host any, anything essentially, uh, including uh, WordPress. Uh, and especially WordPress sites. But if you had nothing but a HostGator package and you had to start from scratch and get to, let's say, a million dollar business, what would you do? 
Oh, you're asking me this? Yeah, I'm asking you this. That's what I asked oh, my guests. Do you have any idea? Nothing to, to launch a million dollar business? Yeah. Well, look, I'm doing this right now with Send Later. It's a Chrome extension I just acquired and I acquired it. It would shock you. I mean, I acquired it for such a little price. Uh, and now what I'm doing is I just put a paywall up based off you. Usage. I got a domain name, sndlatr.com. And when people hit a certain usage metric in the tool, it puts up the paywall, then they pay and I'm getting no touch sales. So I would use a kind of a host gate or URL to just lock up the URL and use it as a redirect back into the Chrome extension plug. And that's what I'm doing currently. And what did you pay for the Chrome extension plug? 750 bucks. 750 bucks. Where'd you buy it? This was, look, I really should not be sharing the strategy because I'm actively still doing this and I'm just going to invite competitors into the space. But you know, it doesn't matter. You know, I acquired this extension that is three times the size in terms of users on the Chrome extension store than a competitor I was going to acquire that wanted $2 million for their business. Okay. Right. So I acquired the company. I put kind of my development resources in behind it, actually using Toptal, right? So I found a developer on toptal.com, uh, built it up, and now usage is growing. Um, I'm using this tool personally. I'd used a version of it when I was growing Heyo. It allows you to like send emails later, set up reminders, auto follow-ups on one-on-one emails. So what? It, where did you buy the the Chrome extension? What platform did you go to buy it? Chrome. I went Google search Chrome extension store. I see you just looking at the Chrome extension store to see what's not being used much. And I'm going to send out an offer the way that you did to success magazine. You bought it for 750 bucks. Got it. Got it. Got it. it and you know, frankly, anyone could just go to even top and hire someone to copy the Chrome extension that they like and start. Yeah. Look, I, first off, I'll be the first to say this. Um, I believe in copying like hell. I don't, anyone who has an ego that thinks they're going to create something new is never going to be successful, in my opinion, right? Especially, I'll take that, especially in the early phases. Once you're an Elon Musk, you can start thinking about creating whole new categories. But early on, copy your competitor like you wouldn't believe, right? Ethically, of course. And then use your natural kind of strength for me, it's kind of marketing PR, to grow bigger. And so that's what we did. I mean, I already had an extension that I spent probably $10,000, $11,000 via top gel building and then I saw this extension, which had 30,000 users already, which by the way, comes with an email list, right? That's a 30,000 person email list that I'm essentially acquiring for 750 bucks. And they weren't monetizing it before? They were not monetizing. I see. So- and so then you get your, your developers to come in and, and install and, and add the monetization feature. Got it. All right. Let me close out the HostGator ad by saying, look, this is a really great idea. So far, I've been thinking of just content uh, uh, sites on HostGator. But frankly, you can buy someone else's uh, iPhone app. You can buy somebody else's Chrome extension. You could buy other people's software or, frankly, hire someone to copy it on the cheap and then put it up on HostGator. Um, HostGator.com slash Mixergy will get you a really big discount. I think it's – oh, yeah, they're giving me 50% off. They promised me that no one else is going to have more of a discount than I am right now for a limited time because I'm, they want to – I'm pissed off at that. I know I'm you should be. Because and, and by the way, I'm going to work like hell to get that deal. But folks, honestly, I'm not making this up. And I hate promoting other people, especially I have nothing to gain from it. But that is the best deal. I'm going, why does Mixergy have a better deal than Nathan does on the top? Give me Andrew's deal. And they can't, they won't give it to me. It's so our, our sales guy, Sachit Gupta, kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing and asking them. And basically, he sold out for the year. So if you really want to get a spot, you have to give it a better offer than you ordinarily would to get it. Anyway, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. You said earlier, and I wrote this down, I have weaknesses too. What's, what's one of your weaknesses? So I am horrendous with people. I think 99% of people on earth, they're just totally useless. They don't think much and they rely on other people. Give me an example of that. Look, I was horrible at Heyo once we got past five people. I mean, 
I mean, I was brutal to people. Uh, I, I didn't have patience for like the emotional things they needed. I hate seeing in the calendar that an employee's birthday was coming up. Cause I'm like, damn it. I gotta go get a cake and we have to take time out of the day to like sing and do the rah, rah thing. But like, that's really important to people. I just don't have temper. Give me an example of one time that you were. So actually I did talk to people you work with and yeah. one of them specifically said, Nathan does not have this in him. I don't even know if he has innate uh, empathy, but here's what he said. Nathan can figure it out. He de- you can see that he cared enough to figure it out that he deconstructed how to be a good gift giver. And he followed a process because he knows it's important. Right. So I, I know that that's true about you. But give me an example of something you you screwed up or a horrible experience with people because you don't have that natural patience for it. No, I mean, look, when we sold Heyo, I wanted some of my team to stay with me. Right. Like, look, I'll just be totally. I wanted Chris to stay with me. Right. I wanted Christina to stay with me. Who's Chris? Up, what does Chris do? Or what? Did, he was the developer? Chris Rieger. No, he was my, my head of operations. Okay. Amazingly emotionally intelligent guy. He was kind of who I brought in to help with that emotional intelligence in the business. The Mormon. Yeah, the more, he, he, well, he used to be Mormon pastor and now he's doing kind of small business consulting, but he also was in SAS. He worked at Mad Mimi up in New York before they sold with Dean, those guys you know well. Um, and uh, he was so helpful in helping me grow. But look, Andrew, I don't know that I can point to like a specific event, but you summed it up perfectly. Uh, I actually have an, un, I actually care a lot about people. I care, I, I really do. But it's, most of the time it's not efficient for me to go out of my way to do that. So I set up systems to do it. You know, What's one of like your systems? You, you gave, you, you, you sent out forks and knives the other day to a startup entrepreneur with a little note from Amazon that said, it's like to helping you eat big business. Right? It was Eric Bond. He quit his job at Facebook. He went on to work at 500 startups and he said, I'm, I'm going to work at 500 startups so I can help small companies eat big companies. So yeah, I sent him <laughs> forks and knives. Genius, but you have a system for that. Like you have a system for preparing these interviews, right? You have a production team, like you have a little Amazon system. You probably have a Trello board. Like part of the thing I hate about doing these interviews and telling people how I really feel is then they think every interaction I have with them is calculated, right? They're, they're all, I mean, you did this actually. I mean, we were, I forget what it was, but you were like, wait, Nathan, oh, we did a co-webinar because I really wanted to promote a course you had, which I never do, by the way. You're probably the only one I've done. And you said, wait, Nathan, like, what did you say? You're like, do, are you wanting something for this? What'd you say? I actually didn't know how any of this worked, but I did say, so how do I repay you? Or what's your percentage? Or what does this work? How does this work? Yeah. And what did I say? You said, I don't want any money for this. I just want to, uh, I just want to pay back because you're a good friend or something like that. Yeah. And look, maybe people are listening going, well, Nathan just do that as an example. So we could use an example in all of his future interviews, which might be true, but like the, 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 the fact is, like, I'll, I'll share my techniques after I'm done. I had, um, a guy in here who I've known since he was in high school, he heard me speak in high school. He stayed in touch over the years. We had this great personal conversation here, which, you know, I love having personal conversations with people. I came back and into the address book that comes with my iPhone, I wrote everything that he said except for the super personal stuff. So I remember in the future that he is looking to go to graduate school. I remember that his next his next career move is whatever he said that it's going to be. And I put that down and that way I can follow up afterwards and say, how are things going with his girlfriend of two and a half years or how are things right? I, that's part of my system. And I also try, and I'm, I'm horrible at this, but I try to look for things that people care about so that I can make a note of possible gifts in the future for them. Yeah. This is one of the reasons, by the way, I don't have a relationship. It becomes very, if I have a relationship, it becomes obviously clear what I care about, whoever I'm with. Right. And if people that know how to cater to whoever I'm with, it's actually a weakness in me. They Why? Can 
Because you, once you know how to help somebody or how to influence somebody, they have more control over you. Right. So my point is this so is you don't want things. people to see what you care about so that they don't have control over you. One hundred percent. One. This is why you create diversions. This is why I'm going to throw a five million dollar acquisition offer out for Success Magazine when, frankly, it's like the worst performing magazine. Two million uniques when Forbes gets 30 million. Look, they're selling CDs. They're selling CDs in their magazines. When was the last time anybody listened to a CD? I mean, they're the worst. Performing. I would never want them, especially for that price. But when I did that, dissenters of your target then come to you. So people that have been felt like they've been shafted by success, see that story and come and get behind you. And you're going to see me do something very interesting in media in the next maybe six months. And you're going to go, Oh, that's why Nathan did that. So you have to create diversions uh, in my opinion. I see. Okay. Coming back to you, not wanting a relationship. Why don't you, why, why did you say that sex was uh, a waste of time? Well, like, let me go like a little more high, higher level than sex for a second. Let's say you're in a relationship. And yeah, of course you have sex in a relationship, right? I don't want to have to like wake up in the morning and like my first thing be like, well, I can't function for 10 minutes because my arm's dead because you fucking slept on it. Like, I don't want to deal with that. If you wake up and that person is like sick or like feeling depressed, I have to commit like a very, like I have a very limited fuel tank. I have to commit some of my fuel to making them feel better. Like, I don't want to have to waste fuel on that right now. I just, that's just, and, and Andrew, I honestly think this might be a maturity thing. I'm only 26. Maybe this changes over time. And it worries me that I say this so much because I'm, I'm worried I'm convincing myself I never need it and I won't naturally progress to where I need to be. But I think I, that's just how I feel right now in relationships. So when you first sold, told me that, I said, this is, it was so shocking that because you're basically saying, I don't want to be in love. I don't want to have the fun of being in a relationship. I don't want any of it because I'm that committed to my work. And at first it was really shocking. And it made me feel like you'd, you'd exaggerated the importance of your work and you were missing out on something. Then I thought, I sat with it and I realized, no, you're absolutely right. It's what I did. It's what a lot of people who I think go on to do things that are significant end up doing. It's just not the kind of thing you want to say not just publicly, but it's also not the kind of thing you want to say to yourself, but it's important. It's important to, to focus to that degree, I think. Yeah. I mean, look, this is one of the reasons I would never say some of the stuff that I now say on interviews, which I do feel right. I never just say stuff because I feel like it's going to like get views. Right. But I can, I can say stuff without a filter because I don't have investors that are going to email me and go, Nathan, why are you talking about sex? You're supposed to be talking about Hayo and selling Hayo on the Mixer G interview. Did you ever have investors who said that to you? They were pretty hands off from what I see. Well, look, it would make some of them very uncomfortable uh, if, if, if they were still kind of had money behind me right now. And, and I, I'm kind of doing the stuff that I'm doing. Some of them love it, by the way. Look, when my investor, when we sold Hayo, I said, guys, what do you think I should do? Can you guess what industry every single one of them said I should go into? Um, I'm going to say television. Media. Mm -hmm. They said, Nathan, we know so many people in media. We've never seen somebody that does webinar like in media that can do what you do. You need to go into media. So look, they know the importance of it, but they would never want it to be known that they're supporting someone that is really good at doing kind of what I do. Now, the second I can channel those views into SaaS MRR growth, that's a whole different story, right? That becomes very interesting. So that's, what, uh, that's what most people I talk to are trying to figure out. What are you trying to do right now? Why are you? They, one guy even said to me, He's a very good salesman. I don't know what he's selling though. What's, so what are you trying to do? Isn't that the best? 
if nobody knows what I'm doing, I can't be attacked. I mean, it's that simple. No, nobody knows. Look, I'm doing very well. But you can't also be supported. People can't come in and help out with what you're doing. Well, I can ask for support, right? From from the people who know that I know I can help me, or I can do things like what I did with Success Magazine, and I attracted many people that were, let's just say, that were very important to Success Magazine's growth. That are now kind of on Team Nathan, right? And helping me think through my media strategy. So I, I, I never want anybody to know what I'm doing. I ever, because then they know where to attack. I mean, look at this right now. Are you following Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn with Valiant and Herbalife? A little bit, yes. So you like, can't not yeah, follow it. I can't believe Carl Icahn's not getting sued for this. But Carl Icahn, basically, volume of Herbalife shares shot through the roof once the FTC basically said you're free and clear. Volume went crazy. Because Icon's on the board of, of, of Herbalife, right? He can't trade a certain number of shares without disclosing it as a proportion of total volume of shares sold. So when volume spikes from the FTC news, Carl actually, many people are saying that he looked at selling shares, which would be great for Ackman, who is about a billion dollars short on Herbalife because mm-hmm. the stocks would go down. Carl's the big supporter. Ackman's betting the stock goes down to zero. Well, Ackman, the second he heard that Icon did this interview where like maybe he was selling stocks, went on all these press outlets and said, see, I told you so, I told you so. Then at the end of the day, Carl bought 2 million more shares. Ackman right now has no idea what Icon, sorry, uh, what Icon Icon is doing. Yeah. Ackman has, Bill Ackman at Pershing Square has no idea what Carl Icon is doing. And that is exactly where you want. And that's where you want to be right now. 100%. You need to be unpredictable. People pay attention and they're going to follow. Let me talk about my second sponsor, and then I want to come back and ask about um, shoot, what was it that I was going to say? Oh, it'll come back to me in a second. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was about your freaking conference. There's something that people showed me months ago about your conference and said, "What is this guy doing? Is this even legal?" All right, but first I got to talk about um, the Lead Pages conference. Lead Pages is doing a conference for people who are just into conversion. Are you going to be at it? It's called Conversion 2016. I won't be at it. Nope. Why not? Why are you so adamant? Because I've stopped going to many of these conferences. I understand that most of the speakers are paying to be on stage. They're spon- Look at just the revenue. of It's just the model. of They're paying to be on stage? Yeah, many times it's part of the sponsorship package. Be a gold sponsor, get a speaking slot. You know this, Andrew, come on. I see. I don't think that that's true for lead pages because of the people who I think are over there. And frankly, I think for lead pages, they're doing this conference just to make themselves the leaders in conversion. Well, look, I, I, I forget whose blog right on. Maybe it was Brad Felds, but someone said... Clay and what he has done, where you buy lead pages for whatever it is, and the upsell is the ticket to the conference. I mean, what Clay has done at lead pages is so fun to watch. Same thing with Russell at Clay. I mean, it's so fun to watch because they get online marketing so well, and they're teaching a SaaS space so much. I, I agree. I love the way that they even will upsell me to an annual package as I keep using their software, right? So- The thing that I like about this conference, I say no to almost every conference. I have no interest in, I reach with like five seconds on Mixergy, more people than I'm going to reach at an actual conference. But the reason that I said yes to them is because everybody who's going to be on stage at that conference and many of the people who are going to be in the audience think exactly like that, where they think, how do I increase my upsells? How do I come up with a new clever way to get people who are going to come in for monthly to go for annual subscription? All that kind of stuff. How do I get more people to give me their email address? And I want to not just hear what they say on stage, but I want to get together with them over drinks and talk to them about what's working for them and pull out the best ideas that I can. And that's why I'm going to Converted 2016. I'm actually going there to speak so that I can meet people who are in the audience now listening to me and meet people who are on stage. If you come, you will get to meet some of the best 
people in the conversion space. And if you text me before you come and say, Andrew, I heard you on Mixer. Do you talk about this? I'm coming because of you. I will text you back and we'll coordinate time for you and me and everyone who I get together with to meet up. So here's what I want you to do. Don't just go to Converted 2016. Don't just go to their website, but go to the special URL where they're going to give you 25% off of the price. So you're going to pay less than other people who are going to the conference. Go to leadpages.net slash Mixergy. Leadpages.net slash Mixergy. You're going to learn how to increase conversions on pages where you're collecting email addresses, conversions on pages where you're getting people to buy, and you're going to meet a bunch of really smart people who do this obsessively for a living. I bet a lot of them aren't having any sex because they're so focused on this. Go to leadpages.net slash Mixergy. Andrew, what is what does lead pages pay you for that? Um, that's a good question. I think it's for all of the interviews that we're doing together, uh, for all the ads that we're doing together, something like $16,000 for the ads. And you do it on a CPA model or they pay you that up front? I don't do CPAs in the interviews. I, they pay it up front. You and I have talked about this many times, kind of sponsorship in the podcasting space. And, and we'll go back. I want to, mm-hmm. I'm curious about my conference, what you want to bring up, but the podcasting space right now, as you know, oh, it's unbelievably fragmented and sponsors are getting ripped off left and right. And there's some people coming up with very unique sponsorship models. I think I'm learning from you. I have some very interesting deals where you got to move people off kind of the CPA and cost per listen model. So that's why I was curious. I think CPA stinks. I think cost per listener stinks because everyone's listeners are different. And then you end up getting priced with these at the same CPA cost per, I mean, crappy shows, right? Say, right. The same as crappy shows. Um, but I, I used to be such a skeptic about ads working in podcasts that I didn't really sell them much. And then when we sold to TopTal a bunch of ads, I was really sheepish about it and HostGator because they were paying me, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I said, I feel really guilty taking their money. But I talked to them and these guys are measuring it. They forced me to say a special URL every single time, which I used to resist because who wants to remember both like leadpages.net and the word converted 2016 and slash mixer, right? Like It's too much. But I, I like taking them out, taking employees who are lower on the totem pole to lunch, to drinks, talk to them over the phone and said, is Mixergy really working for you? And they say yes. And these guys don't feel guilty even sharing the numbers with me, Yep. which I'm it's surprised. Not- I don't know that I would be as open with the numbers if I were them. Yeah, I am the same way. I will not work with a sponsor unless they tell me if it's successful or not. Many of them will shield it because they know if they say, yeah, if you're successful, I'm going to ask for more money, right? But but I'm doing the exact same thing. And it, and it goes, it's not just in the podcast. It's also what can you do from a storytelling perspective in your other materials that drive those brands? And so, uh, no, I just want you to know I'm 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 studying and I'm fascinated. That's by what interesting. So I used to want to package email with the podcast. Say, hey, you've heard me talk about this on the yeah. podcast. Here's a link to go there in case you didn't write it down. It doesn't seem like it's necessary. There's something about being in people's ears that makes it such a personal interaction that they that they take action, which so, for example, I may have fewer listeners for this interview. I don't think I will, but fewer than some medium posts. But you, you want to call me out if this interview gets less than your normal posts, you should call me out and say Nathan totally flopped on the show. Nobody else have him on. You know what? Actually, you can tell what you do is you just go to iTunes, look at my my podcast episodes on iTunes and iTunes doesn't say how many listeners there are, but it does show the bars. Yeah, but I don't think it's directly correlated to listens, popularity. You're talking about the popularity bar? Yeah, I think it tends to be from what I see, the ones that have the more most bars, but it's like within a given period of time. So it's not necessarily overall. All right, two things. Podcast, I also want to talk to you about, and I also want to talk to you about at the conference. Since we brought yeah. a podcast, you've been saying you have 2 million downloads. Will yeah. you 
here today. Do screen share and oh, show right now. Right now, let's let's finish the podcast oh. so that we don't um, so that we don't uh, uh, accidentally lose it. But I will with you with you sharing your screen. I will show the audience what your download numbers are, and you you don't mind showing them. Why, why would I show them? Why would you show them? Because you've been saying everywhere you have two million listeners. Convince me strategically why I should show them when everyone's going to talk about if I actually have those numbers or not. Because if you show the numbers and it's true, then it gives everything else, including the bullshit that you sometimes will throw out there, a lot of credibility. That's a good pitch. It's 100% true. And if I show the numbers, everyone stops talking about it. I lose. Nobody stops talking about 2 million. If there's 2 million of anything, no one's going to stop talking about it. Everybody knows that I have actually way more, Andrew. I'll show you. I have way more than 2 million downloads. If everybody knows, everybody stops talking about it. Mm, no, if everyone knows, people do talk about it. Leo Laporte, when he got up on stage at some conference somewhere, I think it was in Japan, and said, someone asked him how much money he was making. He said, I'm making a million dollars from podcasting. Suddenly, that's all people talked about. If you have yeah. the numbers, people talk about it. What, right now, what, word of mouth is the most powerful marketing. People read People Magazine for a reason, right? It's gossip. It's never Britney Spears donated to charity. Britney Spears, you know, well, it's Britney Spears is like having sex and nobody knows about it, right? Like, so look, I always struggle with this. There are, there, there are numbers that I put out there are, there, I mean, I don't say stuff unless it's actually happening. So when I, when I get challenged on this stuff, I really have, I have no, nothing to gain off showing you this, okay? Nothing to gain. And I want people to like see this real time, like in the oh, You're showing it right now. Okay, let's take a look. In the conversation, 2.3 million. Hang on, okay. hang on, I'm gonna zoom in. 2.3 all-time listeners, 189,000 a month. Okay, this is like, for a show that's, let the top entrepreneurs, it, for a show that's less than a year old, Andrew, I have never seen a podcast, and I've asked many people, grow this fast, and people hit me so hard all the time. They don't believe my numbers because of how I promote the numbers. And then I hit them over the head with this and they go, something's happening here. There's this genius, something's swirling. And Nathan said, there's this genius happening and he's executing. And then people follow. But here's what I just did. It's the dumbest thing I've ever done. People are going to stop talking about, does Nathan actually have 2 million downloads? And I just lost a bunch of word of mouth marketing. So <laughs> congratulations. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen at all, but I think that's interesting for you to say that. I lost it to you. I lost my podcast. It's worth it. Andrew Warner. Not true at all. People are now going to, um, trust your number your other numbers even more than they probably should because this number was understated you had more than two million people i two, almost more than two million downloads because it's nice to have a surprise to show people what right? about this when you you put together a conference and on your web page for the conference you said carl icon was going to be there jk rowling was going to be there and a whole bunch of other people were going to be there speaking at the conference i think what i did with this conference is quite frankly a stroke of genius i'll tell you why what it said, if you go look at that particular part, it said confirmed and invited. They have been, they have been either confirmed or invited. And what I will tell you as sales come in and I have more money to play with, the likelihood that I actually confirm all of them increases because I can pay their fees, right? But I will not disclose which ones are confirmed and which ones are still in invitation mode. And if anyone comes, here's, here's the reason no one would do this. People are going to go, oh my gosh, what if, I, what if I buy a ticket only to see Carl Icahn? And then Carl Icahn's not there because Nathan couldn't confirm him. I give him a refund. They're, even if they pay for their flight, I'll pay for their flight too. But what most people do, Andrew, with conferences is they lose money like you wouldn't believe. They go reserve. Okay, actually, you have a very good friend who you supported. It's a two-man founding team. I won't say more than that. 
that are in a big lawsuit right now over a big upfront fee they paid on a conference because you can lose a lot of money doing it, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so what I did is that I am not putting any of this, no payments until I know what my revenue is. And I just have to be comfortable losing money on refunds. But I'd rather lose money on refunds than commit money up front and lose it later. I see. You just want to get some committed orders and then you'll put the conference together. Do you see how some people might see it as um, as a lie? No. Because you're I, or misleading, I, intentionally misleading? You know, look, first off, I have a lot of confidence in myself that I'll be able to get all of them. And I Carl would say- Icahn? 100%. Carl Icahn, you have confidence is going to come speak at the conference. I, listen, first off, once I get more sales coming in, and with what I know about how to get people's attention, I could get Carl Icahn. I could get, Andrew, I could get anyone I want. I got Tim Draper, a billionaire on my, on my podcast. I got Adam Balkin, early investor in Uber, Uber. I mean, these people don't reply to emails. I got them on my podcast. You do this too, right? There's an art to it. I could do it. Part of it is though, is I don't want to do the conference unless it sells out and makes a lot of money. I'd rather refund everybody because I frankly don't need the money, right? I sold Heyo, I had a salary, I have real estate, I have the podcast, I have sponsors, I don't need conference money, but I'm great in front of an audience, which is why I'm testing it. So no, look, this is what I told you earlier. You can put a statement out there and let other people fill it in with what they expect, right? And as long as at the end of the day, everybody is happy, I have no problem doing that because it de-risks me losing a lot of money. I feel like Jason Calacanis kind of took this attitude where he was just going to say outrageous things. No one was going to call him out on it. And if they did, then it would create controversy, which would get him more attention. He said everything he did was great. He would talk about like uh, Marissa Meyer being a great product person. He'd go like, I'm a great product person. He would just keep complimenting himself until Uber hit. And he he was an early investor in Uber through a a scout scout, uh, deal that he had with Sequoia. So Uber hit. He made money off of that. And now he has so much money that he doesn't have to pump himself up anymore. And now in one of the more recent episodes, I heard he said, I'm an idiot or something like that. He basically put himself down in a fun way that he never would have at a time when he was feeling more vulnerable. So what I'm saying is, does vulnerability make you want to put on a shell of invincibility because you're so vulnerable? If you look at a great movie that makes a lot of money, the main characters, you root for them at some points. Right. And other times you root against them. Usually you root against them when they're on a high and you root for them when they're the underdog. Any smart person in business, and I think I'm pretty smart, has to manage their personal life and know when you're trying to get people to root for you and when you want people to root against you. I want everybody rooting against me right now because the lower I drive everybody else's expectations, if I just do something normal, they're going to go, wow. If I do something incredible, that's never been done before, like 2 million downloads in the first 12 months on my podcast, The Top Entrepreneurs, they're going to go, oh my gosh. So the reason I say that is you can, I create my own vulnerability. I may or may not have said, somebody should like call me a failure. Like, did I, did I actually do well on Hayo? Somebody should call me a failure. And frankly, you kind of invite your dissenters in to kind of say bad things about you. And then you can kind of attack, right? And like, that's actually a very good thing. Now, I will say going going back to kind of your Jason, did you have a question about Jason's kind of story or you were just relating it? No, what I'm saying is that are, uh, the question is, are you now, because you're in a more vulnerable spot, you didn't sell Hayo for as much money as you wanted you and you, you're in a vulnerable spot right now. We sold it for amount that I personally, I thought it was a great price. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic price. That's a very Donald Trump like gesture that you made as you <laughs> said that. Listen, if, listen, I, lo- I love Donald Trump, but I also care. You know, 
if Donald Trump and Michelle Obama had sex and had a baby, it would be Nathan Latka, okay? Michelle Obama's in great shape. I'm in great shape. She cares about children. I care about children, right? Donald Trump's a great negotiator, makes deals. I make great deals. So the, the deal was not that great. I mean, it was great under the circumstances, but basically some of your investors lost money. That's not an ideal, that's not an ideal deal. And you got, you got less than $100,000 from it. There are many big, big companies that do very well where investors, especially ones that are angels that the first money in, lose because of liquidation preference, ratchet clauses. Andrew, you know this, right? You know, you know this from other interviews you've done. I do know it. And I do, um, I, I do feel that, you know, that this wasn't that great a deal, but here's what I love about what you're doing. And this is the part that bothers some people. I think you're putting on one of the best shows out there. You are being the kind of person that many people want to be but they don't have the guts or they don't or they're not at a place in their lives where they could do it. And so instead, they're quietly resentful instead of feeling that this is what they want to do. Maybe not exactly what you're saying. I don't think anyone's listening and saying, I want to say exactly what Nathan's saying. I want to create a, com a conference the way Nathan is. But I do think they're saying, I want to say things. I want to be um, provocative. I want to say to myself first and then to the world how much I could do and have the confidence to say the Carl Icons come into my conference and know that when I say things, some of them may not show up, but a majority of them or enough of them will succeed that I will get where I want. I think they just don't have the guts to do it. And that I think is one of the problems uh, that people have with, with you. Well, it's great that people have problems with me. You know, people have problems with Howard Stern and just signed a half billion dollar deal with Sirius. In fact, if people didn't have problems with Howard Stern, he'd be broke. So I invite problems. That's, I mean, I'll put that out there. The other thing is I don't want this. I don't necessarily want all of this happening. I mean, this is not good for me. It's not good for me to show you my numbers. It's not good for me to talk about. Sure it is. What's the lawsuit? Well, so not the many. What many. are the lawsuits that are coming at you now? Hold on. You're getting me off my, my point. Give me one second. <laughs> my point is these kinds of things are not things that I necessarily want or invite in. But Andrew, one of the things I've seen with every successful entrepreneur they have to know how to generate their own momentum, even when they have nothing. And if you don't have the balls to create your own momentum, you're going to lose. And so I already had like some momentum and to take the little momentum or some momentum and make it more momentum. You do what I'm doing. You use your creative smarts, your marketing, your resources, and you keep growing. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, people would be surprised if they, you know, see my 2016 tax returns. I mean, something interesting is happening. I frankly don't know why it's working so well. So I can't even take credit for it, but it's working. Going back to, to what you just said, what was the question? Uh, the question was about the lawsuits. Oh, so you know when people sign up to do a podcast, you know, it's like Skype, phone number, your bio, why should you be on the show? And a little checkbox that says, Andrew Warner has permission to do whatever he wants, to promote or do whatever he wants with the show once it's recorded, right? Mm -hmm. Well, these people come on my show and I specifically say the best way to repair is to listen to past interviews. And they don't. And they miss when I destroyed Jason Hartman, this real estate guy, came on my show, called himself a millionaire, and he didn't know anything about like his numbers. I mean, he was so he wouldn't tell me the number of like how old he was. You said I mean, he didn't know how much money he made last year. And you said, how is this guy a millionaire if he says that? Yes. It, and it was crazy. It's Ty Lopez. First question, do you own this car? How like how much was the girl on the left and how much was the girl on the right? I mean, and like I hit him really hard. And you have to do that to people. And if people don't do their research and listen to my show and they get on, they're not used to kind of interview style like me. After so who's these, actually had a lawsuit against you? Well, I won't. I can't say who, but I will tell you, I am the most, I, I have not heard of another podcast host that has as many uh, uh, 
you know, it's threatened lawsuits because people will as much as I do. Who has not had what? Sorry, I talked over you. What'd you say? I talked over you. You you don't know someone who's had more what? I don't know another podcast host that has gotten as many letters from attorneys that say, take that episode down or else legal action is coming. And I write back and I basically say, um, screw you, buddy. We put a lot of money into recording, production, everything else. It's going live. And if you did your preparation work, which I very specifically said you should, you would know what my style is. And by the way, like my style is my style because I'm selfish. I want the numbers quick. I don't have time. I mean, you know how I operate. So I think I'm the most sued. I don't know about that. Lawsuits are pretty public. I could go and look them up. You don't have you don't have any lawsuits that I could find. Anyway. When I say when I look, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know all these terms. I don't let me let me be very specific. I don't know that there's another podcast that has gotten as many PDFs in their email from legal teams of companies saying, I can't believe you got our CEO to share our valuation. We're trying to raise capital right now. Take it down now or else legal action. will. What do you blow. have more than two? Oh, my gosh. Way more. You could show those publicly. TechCrunch famously showed them publicly. You don't have to be so mysterious about it. I get about four a month. Four a month? Yes. So can you post them online? No. Why not? There's, no, there's nothing against posting them online. Strategically convinced me that would be good for me. Because every time that TechCrunch showed that he, the, uh, that Michael Arrington on TechCrunch showed that he, had a, that he got a cease and desist letter, people would support him because no one wants to see content taken down because of a lawyer bully. And it would be something to talk about. And so if you're saying like one sentence is helpful for you, which is to say I'm the most sued or the most cease and desisted person, then showing four a month of those is at least four times a month is good, if not more. Well, you know what? Well, you know what I might do? People can go, they can search on iTunes right now, the top entrepreneurs, you can find it. If you're listening to this in my feed, you already see it. Maybe what I will do is I will actually talk about and share some of those lawsuits or let PDF letters in future episodes. But I will tell you, I mean, Andrew, some of these people are like guests you've had on big, big, I mean, big people. And what they don't realize is the person that scheduled the interview legally committed. I mean, I had a lawyer look over my text very closely. You probably had people go, Andrew, can you edit this out of the episode and change this? Like, I don't do that. To and my I guess. don't. Um, and I haven't for years. Um, and I still get a lot of requests for it. I Wait, feel oh, like I my I job is to persuade them to be okay with it because I don't, and I'm not like you, I don't want them fighting me over it. I want us to, at the end of the day, feel happy with the interview. And I feel like that's a persuasion job for me, but it does take a, a ton of time. A ton yeah, of time I, to persuade people to say it's okay. Yeah, I, see, I, I just don't do it uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned. But uh, look, my job is not to make the guests happy. My job is to make the audience learn, right? And many times those things are not aligned. There are many, you know, many shows where the guests lob questions or the host lob questions to the guest. What was your biggest failure? And they go, oh, well, like I failed because my first deal was only $5 million instead of $20 million. Oh, it was such a failure. Like they lob questions. Well, and they get those questions ahead of time. I hate places where the guest gets all the questions ahead of time. But I, I will say this. Before this interview started, I told you I don't want to sandbag you. I've talked to a few people. Can I tell? Do you want me to tell you about it before I start recording the interview? And you said, no, I, I'd rather be surprised. Don't be afraid. You can't, you can't shock me. Andrew, it's because I trust this thinking. Like, if I just tell the truth and I tell how I feel all the time, nobody can catch me in anything. People want prepared questions so they can prepare and cover up. I mean, that's why they do it. So this is great. Look, I am going to make a bet. My first interview with you had like 81 comments. I think it did really, really well. My gut tells me this interview is going to do very, very well. And if it doesn't, I want you to say Nathan's show had horrible ratings and we'll talk about it. If this doesn't get as many listeners as the first one or as many comments, I'll point it out.
Yeah, listeners. And by the way, like I win by saying that. You know why? If it fails, then you're going to point it out. And I'm going to use you pointing it out to generate traffic back to the original episode so it becomes number one. This is like one of the things that I think I do very well. You set yourself up so that no matter what happens, you win. I see. And yeah, I get that. I get that. So even if I say, hey, Nathan failed, you can come back and say, I did not fail. I produced the best interview for Andrew possible. The fact that Andrew doesn't know how to promote anymore means that Andrew thinks he's too big to promote this. And it's on Andrew. Uh, not, I wouldn't necessarily, I like you. So I wouldn't attack you like that. I would attack the action or something, but one of the things you have to have in life, and this is something I think only I, in terms of being a 26 year old that has this mindset, you have to be attacked. You, if you can't, if people aren't going to attack you on anything, it means you have no backbones, means you're generic, right? So Mike, Michael Stelzner attacked me and I think I won that. And you know, I go on Blab. They're all talking about me at like 11 at night on Blab. I get texts. They go, Nathan Stelzner, these people are talking, Joel Calm. You need to come on. I'm like, what the hell are they doing on Blab talking about me at 11 a.m.? I'm in bed trying to read. Why do they care about me so much? So I get on, and Andrew, it's the number one viewed Blab of all time. And I say, Sean, you need to give me a cut here. I'm driving you growth, the, the founder of Blab. <laughs> and he says no. And now Blab's like shutting down because Nathan Lockett didn't go on Blab anymore. So I'm not going to take total credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> that I is drive impression. That is a classic Nathan Latka circa 2016 phrase right there. It's, just, it's the greatest blab, the biggest blab of all time. And because they didn't promote it, they went down. I'm not going to say it's all because of me. <laughs> some, some people are saying it's because I stopped doing blabs. Some people. <laughs> no, that's a line also from like Donald Trump. Here's the headline I'm going to use on this. Nathan Latka wants to be the Donald Trump of the tech startup world. I think I'm, I think I'm a better Donald Trump than Donald Trump. To be honest, I think something like that. Donald Trump's name is hot right now. And I feel like I should just take a little bit of that energy here. I honestly don't think that that would actually do very well, to be quite honest with you, uh, because it's too overused. I think you have to. I don't know. I give first of I've given you, I think, a lot of ammo to work with. Uh, there are certain, you know, there are some interviews you do where you're like falling asleep halfway through. Uh, we'll see. I mean, com view people listening. Comment below. Tell us what you think we should. Andrew should change the headline to when this thing goes live. Like Andrew, it. look, it'll be fun you have a very, because you've done, I mean, what are you on? 1300, 1400? Somewhere there, yes. I mean, watching you and kind of watching, remembering what you told me your goal was with Mixer. Is it, by the way, is it still your goal to do that? What, what are you, uh, my, my goal with Mixer G is to leave a legacy of, of uh, inspiration. Uh, sorry. Uh, more than inspiration. I want real tactical information, which is why I like that you are being open here about how you, you use open-ended uh, statements. Actually, I don't know that I'd call them open-ended statements, but but I like your, your process here being open revealed. Open-ended is fair. Open-ended is totally fair. Um, like, even in chess, when you're playing a chess and you're going to say, you know, if you make that move, I'm about to move my king here. And, it, and you're really not going to do that if they do it, but it forces them to move where you want them to move. I mean, this happens all the time. The problem is people that get mad at me, they, they, honestly, they're frustrated. They can't connect the things in their mind to execute how I'm executing. I think part and, of it, it is a little bit of jealousy, but I also think part of it is that like Michael from Social Media Examiner could have been a friend of yours and an ally in your battle against like the founder of Success Magazine or something else because you know him. The Success Magazine peoples of the world, you don't know that well. They're feeling like, why is Nathan attacking friends? Why is Nathan being rude to friends instead of working now, with friends? Look, I, I was never, I have nothing personal against Michael Stelzner. But I didn't like how Social Media Examiner operated when many people emailed him and said, you should put Nathan on stage. And their reply was, Nathan hasn't written a book. And I know many people he's put on stage that have paid a quarter of a million dollars to buy a best-selling book 
and their information is shit. And I go to the conference and I'm going, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. So I lost respect for Michael because I think so. And by the way, I have to now link him to this because I've mentioned him so times. So he's going to have to listen to this. But I think he puts people on stage because of a system he set up that is wrong. And it's, it's hurting his audience. I mean, in my opinion, it's hurting his audience. He posted the other day on Facebook, our email list is getting less opens. And I'm going, I wonder why, Michael? It's because you're selling tickets the whole time. You must not be selling tickets like it used to be. So people can like me or not like me. The point is, I believed in that, that, that soapbox Andrew was standing on in that quote battle was that list size is not important. What's important is how much do you know about the people on your list? So while he puts at the top of every social media examiner, you know, email, you see this. Now at 423,000 blah, blah, blah subscribers, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't He's, seen his email list at all. I should subscribe just to see what he's up to. At the top of every email, right? But I bet you he couldn't name the children of 10 moms on his list. I know my list like the back of my hand because they fill out surveys. And so that was the thing I was trying to teach in that moment. All right. You've, you're putting on one of the best shows in tech right now. I really like following you on Facebook. I know you're on uh, Snapchat and all these other platforms too, but Facebook for me has been fit my favorite, partially because of the live, uh, the live videos that you put out. Um, if anyone wants to, and actually many people who are listening are already subscribers of your, of your podcast, partially because we're on your podcast feed and also because people have been following you from Mixergy to your podcast. But if they're not, they should just go to whatever podcast app they like and go subscribe to the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast. And of course, if they're listening to me and they want to check out more Mixergy, they should look for Mixergy. It's a little bit harder to spell Mixergy than the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast. I ask you something. Why did you just promote your show instead of asking me a question that set me up to say amazing things about it? Ah, interesting. I didn't even think to do that. I was trying to... Because no, I would. So what do you... You actually were listening to Mixergy back when you were building your company, kind of like I, I said in the intro, many people do. What did you get out of listening to Mixergy all those years? Yeah, well, look, I, I, I've never, the only reason I put my phone number out online, Andrew, is because I know my first, what I thought my first big break was, was you doing that to me, right? And I got a phone call with you. Then I started listening to every episode, okay? And I, start, and I even subscribed to Mixergy Premium. Then you had me on and I taught a course. And the episode that when you had me on did very well in 2011. I mean, I think it was ranked up in the top 10 or top 100 or something. So like, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have time to watch every episode, but you can look at the episodes and pick out and like learn from pieces. But Andrew, I just, I have to go back to like that question I just asked you though for a second, because yes. that I think is one of my number one skill sets. I do it on webinars. If I know someone's a big supporter of me and I'm with them, the last thing I want to do is promote myself when I could tee up a question where I know it's going to be a positive response. You know what? I used to do that. And I find that um, entrepreneurs tend to be stubborn that way, that if they know you're teeing something up like that, they they will battle against it sometimes just to battle against it. I'll give you a great example. Um, David Hanmeyer Hansen, the co the co-founder of uh, Basecamp and uh, the, the he's the creator of Ruby on Rails, I think. I said something like, what is what does ambition mean to you? And just to be provocative, he knew that I started the interview by saying this is home of the ambitious upstart. He said, I don't believe in ambition. And I could see like a smile on his face almost as he was doing it. Anyone can go back and listen to that interview. He was fantastic. And I remember saying from that real that, that entrepreneurs just don't like to go along with anything that someone else does for them. I disagree with that. That anything someone else is leading them towards. They want to feel like they're leading. And then lead them the other way and let them take control. So my question to him, if I knew it was his personality, would have been, what was his name? Uh, David, D-H-H. David, you are busy as hell. 
You barely have time to do this interview. I, I know you probably never listened to a Mixergy interview before ever, okay? So why'd you come on and do the show, right? And he's gonna be like, well, you're right. Like, I don't have time for this kind of stuff, but I had a lot of fun. Like, it's so like, if you think he likes to take control, say something opposite of what you know he believes so he can take control. If it's someone like me, who you know is a big fan, I think you just tee it up. And uh, But listen, I get you. Sorry, I'm picking on you, but I just think you built something so amazing and I've seen you continue growing it and I'm learning from you. I just want to make sure people understand what they're getting. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm glad that people will be subscribing to Mixergy. And I hope that I get to see them at the lead conference, uh, the lead conference, which is called Conversion 2016. Come see me, get your ticket at leadpages.net slash Mixergy. And if you do take Nathan's idea for a new business, please, like so many other people who've started businesses on HostGator, email me. Email me and show me what you've built on HostGator. Here's the URL and my email address. So you can email me what you built. The URL is host, wait, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Hostgator.com slash Mixergy. You get 50% off the best deal they're offering anywhere, plus $100 AdWords offer. Great deal. And when you do create your site, email me. Here's a URL, andrew at Mixergy.com. Uh, that's the email address. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me, Andrew. All right. Well, I'll see you on all kinds of social media. Bye, yeah, bud. I'll hang on the comments for a little bit so I can uh, chat with people after this, all right? All right, cool.